0: conversations with amazing me amazing you hi everybody greetings from the south coast of ireland and welcome to the conversations with amazing me amazing you podcast and today i have a beautiful guest deirdre lachlan and deirdre has a psychology degree And uh, with her wisdom and experience today, she is now doing phenomenal educational talks. She is a motivational speaker. She is a podcaster with the incredible The Good Mind podcast, which I love. And she is a life coach. Welcome, Deirdre.
1: Hi, Steph. How are you? Thanks very much for having
0: me. Thank you so much for coming on, Deirdre. I'm really excited to have you on here. Yeah, I'm hugely
1: looking forward to our chat now. Really looking forward to the last few weeks.
0: Great, great. So dear, will we start with just I suppose if we could maybe start with asking you about your own journey to living more authentically and what prompted you to maybe start your psychology degree?
1: Yeah, of course, yeah. Um I suppose doing psychology, it was it was kind of a funny one. I had I dropped out of college twice before I did psychology and on my second attempt at college career was the option that we had to do electives basically. And I slept it out the morning of registration mm-hmm. and missed the deadline for the class. I actually wanted to register for. And the only option left was a psychology elective. And I ended up picking it.
0: What? Yeah.
1: Yeah, <laughs> ended up picking it and loved the class. And I decided there and then I was like, no, dropping out of course for the second time. And I'm going to go for third time lucky and do psychology.
0: That's fantastic. And what was the elective you were going to choose? Egg science. No way. Ah, oh, lucky for the world that you stepped it out and chose psychology.
1: Well, who knows? I could have been a I could have been a brilliant owl lag like, scientist. Sure <laughs> missed opportunity there.
0: <laughs> uh, well, I lo- I love your podcast and I love everything that you share. Deirdre I absolutely love it and I I just hear such authenticity in your voice and in your experiences and sharing your insights I think it's phenomenal
1: thank you I really appreciate it yeah no, the, the whole kind of being authentic and stuff just it's it, it kind of become a lot more important to me as years have kind of went on and stuff and it's just now it's probably one of my main focuses I suppose is to aim to live more authentically and both through to myself
0: Mm. and what does it mean for you to say okay I'm going to live more authentically I think for me
1: it's I suppose in the in the psychological sense of the word I suppose just kind of being more motivated to kind of build that self-awareness you know really kind of figure out who am I you know what do I believe what do I think what is it that I want for myself rather than looking for external sort of ideas and goals and just kind of going along with what people think because I think it's, it's very simple for us to kind of you know chat to people and just nod along and agree without realizing yeah. I actually don't think that you know so yeah it's yeah it's about checking in with ourselves to be like listen it's okay to disagree with people it's okay to be doing something different just because it's not the norm doesn't mean it's wrong it just means it's, it's your path.
0: Uh, absolutely I, I know for myself I would have been very much you know kind of just agreeing so that I wasn't rocking the boat or, uh, you know, that I wouldn't upset somebody else. So I might have been going against my own values or what I really wanted to say just to kind of keep the peace. Mm,
1: yeah, I think that's a, it's a really common thing, I think, for people. that just, you know, I think we're we're very afraid of this idea of conflict, I think. that Yeah. You know, I think, and especially for me, you know, years ago, I suppose, before I kind of got my mental health sorted, I would have had it in my head that, Any sort of conflict is either going to be a big blaze and row or it's going to be, you know, you'll be ostracized. People won't want to speak to you. And it's just not the case. You know, people are a lot more reasonable than we give them credit for.
0: Yes. And I would have actually had the same very similar experience. uh, For so many years, I would have been afraid of conflict because I would have seen it as a big blow up. And then when I went back to study, it was the first time that I heard uh, a little phrase and it was, oh, happy conflict. And I thought, what a load of rubbish. (laughs) You know, when (laughs) is there ever happiness in conflict? And then uh, the more I looked into it, I I realized, oh, yeah, there actually is always an opportunity to learn about myself. But it's really hard. It's not always easy. And sometimes it might be days after the conflict that I can see, oh, yeah, that's what was coming up for me. But, yeah, I think I would have avoided conflict for a long, long time.
1: Yeah, I, I definitely did as well. And especially, you know, where it really mattered. you know, friendships is one example I can think of where, you know, I would have kind of just let things go or just kind of not said anything. And I think whereas now I've, I've such a, a much more open and respectful relationship with my friends where we can just kind of say anything to each other and we do it in such a respectful way where we just hold each other to kind of higher standards and say, listen, I'm not okay with what you said there. Can we talk about this? And it, it's, it's never a big blowout. It's just us kind of reach in a mutual understanding, which is fantastic.
0: Yeah. And as well, would you have found that, you know, the relationships, well, for me, that I'd have found that some of the relationships I had kind of just faded because once I started becoming more myself that it there was a little bit you know it wasn't as comfortable for other people when I started speaking my own truth and some relationships kind of faded away and then other relationships really strengthened and became a bigger part of my life. Mm,
1: yeah I you know what that's kind of something I hear a lot and it's something I've been asked a few times to be very honest, my own experience is kind of that. I you know we do hear a lot about people saying that relationships kind of fall away and stuff like you're going through growth that kind of didn't happen for me really Mm. um or or possibly it did and I just didn't care enough to kind of notice or possibly didn't They weren't relationships that I kind of valued enough to to notice being gone maybe I'm not sure really what it is it's it's a good question to kind of be thinking of um but it, it, it definitely strengthened my relationships you know it allowed me to have much more deeper meaningful relationships with those in my life that were so important to me
0: yes yeah 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 When you say there, Deirdre, earlier you were saying about you know knowing our values, and you have that in one of your podcasts. And actually, when I listened to that, it made me stop, and I actually paused your podcast. Because I thought, what is it? Because it's something we don't often ask ourselves.
1: Uh, definitely. And I mean, look, that's something I do as a life coach just kind of helping people to figure out their values and what's really important to them. And I think it was only a few years ago that I really sat down and started considering that about myself, you know, and I just learned so much about myself. And it's something now that I remind myself to try and embody daily, like things like creativity, which is not something I ever explored not in a proper way you know up until a few years ago and then i suppose integrity i i I figured out a couple of years ago that integrity is something i massively value and it's it's Mm. just been so liberating to be able to live in my truth as they say and and do embody that value of integrity on a daily basis even even though it does bring a lot of discomfort at times the the payoff just it's it it pays off in, in massive interest
0: I love that. I love that. And, you know, when you say about the creativity, there's, there's one book that I absolutely love, and I wonder, did you ever hear of it? It's The Artist's Way by Julia Cameron. No,
1: I haven't heard that. I must check that one out now. Is it yeah. is it good? Is it just about her process of being creative or...
0: It's like a 12-week program in the book. Now, it took me years to finish it because I kept putting it off because so much comes up. So I kind of started it and I'd shut it and I would started and I'd shut it. And because it looks at the creativity that's within us all. And I think for years, I'd have thought that a creative person is somebody who plays the guitar or sings Mm. or, you know, that plays the piano, you know, something like that and uh, or an artist. And then this book actually... I suppose, helped me totally uncover that, oh, yeah, I am so creative and we're all so creative. And so it just uncovers and helps you discover or rediscover the creativity within yourself. So I love that book.
1: That sounds like a fabulous book.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the integrity, I love hearing that as well. That's a great value to have because that kind of, I think that would help you feel more centered in any conversation or in any relationship.
1: Yeah, definitely. I think balance is extremely important to me. And again, that's only something I started figuring out a couple of years ago, you know, when I really started valuing myself and kind of, I suppose, putting being the main character in my own life, I suppose. Yeah, it was, it was just figuring out that I needed that balance and I was I was in need of that balance for so many years that when I started to really offer that to myself, it was like, this is what I've been missing the whole time.
0: Yes. I love the way you put that, Deirdre, that it was when you started offering it to yourself. Yeah, I think I think half the time
1: we don't realize it is within our power to offer these things to ourselves. You know, we are the, the creators of our own reality, I suppose. And I mean, for some of us, whether we're dealing with mental health issues or I suppose we're dealing with trauma and things, it might not feel like we can because our sense of safety is often compromised. And I suppose it's only when you get to that point of being able to feel safe and feel OK, that you can really start to think, OK, I, I can kind of start taking, taking a bit of control over this now. And that was really a big thing for me, you know, because I didn't have safety for a long time or that feeling of safety, I suppose.
0: Yeah. And how do you go about creating that feeling of safety? Because it is a huge thing. It, it, we do need the safety to start understanding it or exploring it what would you say to somebody that hasn't the safety yet but wants to create the safety
1: Mm, definitely I think it's it massively depends on your situation I think especially if you are dealing with situations of trauma or you know Mm-hmm. Actual situations where you are not safe. It's it's yeah. it's it's so important to be able to, I suppose, get the support needed to find that safety. You know, get help and build up a support system around you. That was hugely important for me. And then I suppose yeah. once I was out of that situation, it was about finding safety through therapy. You know, um people talk a lot about uh, the therapeutic relationship and how that can co-regulate your nervous system and you know offer you that that I suppose that visceral sense of safety and, and that was huge for me just being able to get that physical sense of safety and I carry that forward in my life and it's, it's something that I'm used to grateful for.
0: I love that so so that are you saying when you're with your therapist that you feel that you have that safety to share whatever is on your mind whatever is coming up for you without feeling judged?
1: yeah i think people have an idea of therapy that it's you know it's very scary and it's very i suppose intimidating and stuff it, it it's a tough process you know it is a tough process but at the same time you do feel so safe you feel like look this person is not going to judge me for anything i say this person is yeah. not here to vilify me or or pull up my past mistakes they're here to, to help me move forward and and that is what therapy is and it's about finding safety and just being able to i suppose Say what happened without it being judged or misrepresented, or you know, just they're they're there supporting you, they're there walking you through this 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 journey, I suppose, if you want to call it that.
0: Yeah, and in one of your podcasts as well, dear Jay, I heard you saying about um, you know, that it's finding the therapist that fits you.
1: Mm, definitely, yeah. I mean, look, I went through, I think,
0: two therapists. I'm going to say
1: two and a half therapists because one of them was <laughs> like a guidance counselor, which doesn't count. So, oh, it's yeah. like, there's probably two therapists that I went through before that just didn't suit me you know the the models and stuff that they used just weren't suiting me and I needed to find someone that did and lucky number three seemed to be the number for me so yeah and I was it was amazing my therapist that I worked through That you know I still will go back to every now and again when I feel I need to and it's just it's brilliant having someone who kind of really really just gets you I suppose and and also good at keeping you accountable and kind of you know being able to pull you up when you're I suppose not kind of seeing seeing your
0: seeing things straight as suppose. yes yeah yeah and I have found myself I remember going back when I started studying you know that whole um as part of our program we had to go into our therapy anyway and we had to see a therapist and I still go to my therapist and there was such a stigma though that I remember feeling really uncomfortable at the start saying "Eh, there's kind of part of it is therapy because there's such there's kind of a taboo still, even still. And it's 2020. There's a taboo about going to a therapist thinking that something must be seriously wrong, but it doesn't necessarily have to be at all. Uh, definitely. I mean, I think there's
1: and look, there's definitely a huge stigma. Even you know, for anyone who kind of works in mental health or has both worked in things like life coaching or anything like that, that if you go to a therapist, it's like oh, you're unstable or you're mad, and yeah. it's like that's not yeah. that's not the case. You know, it's people who have mental health issues or have you know diagnosis we'll say, of, of mental health issues are more than capable of of moving into kind of working in mental health fields and stuff because they're responsible enough to prioritize their mental health and make sure that's managed before they go helping other people. And I yeah. the stigma kind of comes from I think where people think the minute you've a you have a mental health issue that you're you're incapable, that you're you know you're you're incapacitated, you're not able to care for yourself, let alone others. And it's like, listen, if it's if it's well managed, like going to therapy, you're you're absolutely fine.
0: And I probably the therapists that have done the work on themselves have experienced something that, you know, that they might be able to identify with people coming to them if they've already gone through similar things or even experiences of feeding something similar
1: i think so yeah i think i think lived experience is a very powerful thing you know especially when it's done correctly you know that it's kind of being spoken about i suppose in a in a context of this is what the research says and this is kind of my lived experience you know it's obviously not going to apply to you but i understand how you're feeling i understand where you're coming from and I think it's it's great to be able to get that bit of relatedness from somebody. And I suppose just feeling like you're understood, you know.
0: Yes. And and not judged.
1: Exactly. Yeah. Just not judged. and Because I think once people feel judged, that's when the shame starts to come in. And I mean, once we start to feel shame, that's it, game over.
0: Oh, 100%. Yeah. Yeah. For me, when I meet people, I always think that the most important thing is that to create that sense of safety. Totally. Yeah yeah no judgment whatsoever i mean we yeah because you're right it it just it sparks shame and then it's a spiral of shame
1: yeah this is yeah. it it's it's, it's it's such a debilitating thing shame as i think
0: yes. yeah 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 actually do you know brene brown yes oh
1: my god her work is fabulous, fabulous. yeah, yeah she's brilliant. fantastic
0: she's really, really really enjoy her stuff yeah. her And her books are amazing as well. Yeah. And do you know when you said earlier about that to help you get your mental health sorted, what did that look like? So it
1: was kind of it was a very long process for me and definitely one that I put on the long finger for too long, I suppose. I kind of came to the realisation and kind of it was pointed out to me when I was about 16 that, listen, you might not be just a bit of a worrier. This might be a bit of an issue. Maybe you might okay. go and kind of get this sorted, and that was kind of pointed out to me by, by a couple of people. And I suppose as a teenager, you're not really in the, the best mind frame to make and those kind of decisions and stuff. So obviously, chatted with my parents and they kind of said, "Look, we'll we'll get you going to therapy and see how you get on." And I yeah. suppose it wasn't really then until I had kind of gone through trying out a couple of therapists and kind of figuring out what was going to work for me. It, it took me way too long because I, I wasn't in the best mind frame to, I suppose push myself forward to be like listen you need to go and find a therapist that suits you and you need to be doing it as soon as possible not put this on the long finger and just get that support for yourself value yourself enough to get that support and I did that then when I was about 21 that's when I properly started going to the therapist that I've been seeing for the last few years and Mm -hmm. it was just it was just life changing you know it was it really was I can't describe it any other way
0: and so what between the ages of 16 and 21 did you not go to see somebody I went,
1: to, I went to two people for a few sessions. Oh, yeah, that's yeah. when you went. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Um, and then there was a big, big gap of a few years where I didn't go to see anyone. And that's when my mental health just started to decline and get worse and worse. And then I experienced trauma and it just completely compounded the whole issue. And I just, I ended up going to my current therapist, will say, with an absolute basket of issues, expecting her to sort them all out. So it was, it was mm-hmm. a big task for her, but she was well up to it.
0: Ah, brilliant. And so do you have practices now that, you know, that you are really, I suppose, committed to or, you know, that you show off yourself each day with, you know, some sort of self-loving practice or weekly practices? Is there something that you feel, OK, this is part of me minding myself now and I always want to have it?
1: Oh, definitely. Mindfulness now was a huge thing for me. I actually got certified in mindfulness there um, at the beginning of this year. And it was just, it was a practice for me for so long. I thought, look, why not get the piece of paper to go along with it? Uh, Yeah, Yeah, so and it it was a fabulous course. But the practice of mindfulness now for me was just life changing because...
0: I'm especially because
1: I have generalized anxiety disorder, it's fantastic for me to be able to keep that in check with something like mindfulness. You know, I feel the anxious thought coming up and immediately I'm acknowledging it, becoming aware of it, and literally just stating it as as something completely mundane, like I feel anxious. Okay. Let's not judge here, let's just, you know, where is this feeling coming from? What particularly is making me feel anxious? Is there anything or am I just letting the anxiety run away? You know, that's okay. That's fine. That's kind of just how your brain works. Let's let's offer some compassion here. What can I do to offer myself a bit of safety? What can I do to calm this situation down for myself? And I do just do that, I suppose. I just offer myself that compassion through mindfulness. Kind of keeping the anxiety in check on a daily basis. Journaling as well would be huge for me.
0: Oh, yeah. I love the journaling as well. Mm, And what? What? type of journaling do you do do you have um just let it let it flow or do you use prompts or what do you do i kind of to
1: be honest i kind of write myself prompts um when i'm kind of feeling you know i suppose a bit creative um and i'll write myself a good few prompts stick them in a notebook and then i'll just pick some of them at the start of the week or whatever and i'll kind of just stick with that theme or possibly i'll you know i'll look up some prompts that i might like online Um, I also do gratitude journaling every single night that's that's a big thing for me I make sure that I do gratitude journaling Um, and I do a lot of emotional check-ins through journaling as well just to you know be able to rationalize that with my brain to be able to see it and write. and this is how I feel acknowledge it what are we going to do about it
0: yeah yeah they're fantastic practices Mm, definitely and what about meditation or do you kind of think that's you're doing that anyway through your mindfulness.
1: No, I I, would. I I do meditate, yeah. And I meditate now, probably not every day. Um, it's probably something I would do a couple of times a week. Um, and as much as I can get it in, you know, it's it's so beneficial. And I would do different ones. Sometimes I do it in the morning, sometimes I'll do a meditation at night time before I go to sleep, or sometimes if I'm feeling particularly stressful or maybe a little bit overwhelmed or kind of lacking in a bit of confidence, I'll I'll pick a suitable meditation and I'll just kind of go with it.
0: Yeah, yeah. So, would you just do it yourself, or would you listen or look up, you know, some YouTube or some podcast? Yeah. So,
1: I I actually use the Calm app. Um, I love the Calm app. I find it great. Um, and I do a lot of the the meditations on that. Now, sometimes, I mean, there's they might have they might not have what I'm looking for. will say on a particular day. And I'll probably go to YouTube then and look up ones that I enjoy. But Tara Brach is definitely one that I, I really, really enjoy her meditation. She does a lot of them on um, radical self-compassion. And she brings in a lot of mindfulness stories and Buddhist stories. And I just really like her work.
0: I never heard of her. Tara Brach. Tara Brach, yeah. She's a
1: clinical psychologist and she, she works in meditation and different things like that. She's, I really enjoy her work now. I only came across it in the last couple of years, but just fantastic.
0: Fabulous. Fabulous. And Deirdre, you know, when you say you do your educational talks, Yes. when I heard you speak about that in your podcast first, I thought that is like essential, but I hadn't heard of people doing it before. I'd have heard somebody going to get something, you know, sorted or fixed or without all the information and without the education around what's happening and understanding it. So I think it's incredible that you're doing that. Thank you.
1: Yeah, it's it's you know I just I suppose going through my own mental health issues and then I suppose following on from that getting a degree in psychology and just and then starting to kind of get experience in the mental health field after that I suppose I just kind of really start to realise how lacking in appropriate mental health education we are in this country and I think there's the whole saying if it's okay not to be okay but it's like what do people do if they're not you know people aren't in the know of where to go who to ask what questions to ask and kind of different information and I, th- I think knowledge is power and i think if we can offer people this information and let them make decisions for themselves you know offer people that sense of agency to say listen therapy is not something to be afraid of therapy is this it's this and we're fully capable of making that decision for yourself it's, it's empowering people to show you can go and get support and, and this is what it looks like
0: yeah when I heard that on one of your podcasts that you know that we we all say oh it's okay not to feel okay or it's okay not to be okay but yet it just kind of stops like a cul-de-sac you know and now I'm saying cul-de-sac myself but you know it just stops abruptly because it doesn't inform us or help educate us or help guide us to what to do when we're not feeling okay.
1: Yeah I mean I think the sentiment is nice I think the government had the sentiment in the nice sentiment I suppose yes. behind it but I mean they, they did lack the the resources to follow it up Do you know it's like I, I see where they're coming from but it's like unless you're gonna back it up with giving people actual support it's like probably best off not to say anything
0: yes yeah I I love the language that you use actually Deirdre it's so um it's so compassionate and it is encouraging and it's i think you i just hear so much belief in you you know that when you're saying no give people a sense of agency and empower them and offer it back to ourselves yeah i I mean your language is i love it
1: thank you um yeah i'm very influenced by the work of dr martin seligman he's kind of one of the founders of positive psychology and i think one of his his his, um previous work before he kind of started that was he had studied people who were kind of heavily depressed and had been for a long time and one of the main things that he found was this element of learned helplessness where people mm-hmm. they're they're not actually helpless they're not powerless you know but they feel like they are they've been so i suppose indoctrinated by by feeling depressed and feeling down or feeling anxious we'll say for so long that they just feel like they're they're not able to do anything for themselves and i just think it's very empowering to to remind people you know you can you have it's well within your power to go and get support you deserve support more importantly so I just think that's it I'm heavily influenced by that and I, I I do think it's very important to remind ourselves
0: yeah Absolutely, and when you say there, you know, the learned helplessness is that referring to you know when we might be labelled or it might be minimised how we're feeling. So learned
1: helplessness basically, um, I I, I think it was the sixties. He done these experiments. Um, I don't know if people know this, but a lot of psychology experiments are done first on animals. Um, ah, yeah. So I, I didn't think, know that. Yeah. So sometimes they're they're a little bit. I'm sure questionable for people to say like you know was that very fair to animals and stuff but i mean look it's unfortunately it is the way it is but Mm -hmm. for for this experiment basically they got um they got like boxes they separated it into three compartments and they basically i think they shocked the dog tried to jump through to another compartment they'd shock them and that Mm -hmm. basically signals the dog you know you can't get through because you're going to get shocked and they basically figured out then that learned helplessness is where people aren't actually going to get shocked when they go through. But they think they do. They, they think that's what's going to happen. So they're they're constantly thinking that I can't do this because something bad is going to happen, you know. So then mm-hmm. he kind of countered that years later with coming up with this, this idea of positive psychology. And he came up with the, the concept of learned optimism, which was basically the opposite of learned helplessness, where it was like you could teach people to be optimistic you could teach people to to look for the good to think of the good but in a practical and a rational way where you're not disregarding what's dangerous or or what's you know you're not kind of going down that lane of toxic positivity you're just being practically optimistic
0: so say learned optimism does that is that saying it's not saying ignore your feelings is it saying you know feed all your feelings but also look for the positive yeah Outcome that may happen.
1: Yeah, totally. So, I mean, like in terms of optimism, we're all predisposed to be optimistic, I think, to about 25% genetically. But um, for some of us hmm. that I suppose aren't, we can actually learn optimism. Like you can teach optimism to people through certain practices and just building that skill up over time. Um, but I suppose when you're kind of being optimistic, we'll say on a day where something is, you know, we'll say your car breaks down side of the road. You're not going to be thinking that something great is going to come out of this or this is, I don't know, I have to look to the positive. If your car is broken down, your tyre is burst, you can sit sit there and be miserable about it. No one's expecting you to put a positive spin on it. But in terms of being optimistic, it's it's, it's about rationally reframing what's going on for you. So it's about saying, listen, this situation is not great, but it's not permanent. It's, It's not going to be forever. And I just have to deal with this now, get through it, and tomorrow's a new day. It's just about being practically optimistic, I think.
0: Yeah, oh, I like that. So it's not minimizing or trying to ignore the feelings. It's acknowledging them, but also being having a practical optimism.
1: Exactly, yeah. Because I think when we start to ignore kind of the, the, I suppose, all emotions are neutral. And I don't think people realize that, you know, there is no negative emotions or bad emotions. All emotions are, are neutral. And I suppose it's the meaning that we attach to them. So if we're having a really bad day or we're feeling horrible, we can just acknowledge it and say, listen, I don't feel great right now. What can I do for myself? What do I need right now? What can I, how can I help myself? This Situation and just remind ourselves that it is okay to feel that way. It's not. It, it doesn't make you negative. It doesn't make you anything. It's it's just about being that sense of having that sense of practicality, I suppose, and compassion for yourself at the same time.
0: I love that. And you know, when if you can learn optimism, I never thought of that before that people can learn optimism. Do you think that's something that you could be learn? You could learn like from the day you start school. Oh,
1: absolutely absolutely yeah i mean there's there's different techniques you can use to learn optimism you know you can there's different ways you can do a journal is a fantastic way to kind of start exploring that concept of optimism Um, it's also great to kind of you know be able to reframe things and remind yourself of kind of what are you capable of or what can you do for yourself you know there's there's just different ways of, of going about that and i suppose just aiming to to bring in, I think, bring in that sense of, of common sense. I think common sense is hugely undervalued as a skill. And I think it's definitely something we could teach within schools to, to teach kids, to, you know, have a bit more common sense about a situation. And I suppose have, have a bit more critical think. And I think we're hugely mm-hmm. lacking as a society in being able to think critically. I think it's a big mm-hmm. problem now, especially in, in politics and societal discussions and everything. It is massive.
0: And what do you mean by critical thinking? So just, I suppose, when, it was,
1: when I was in college, I suppose I first was kind of exposed to this idea that you have to think critically in order to come up with a balanced, reasonable discussion. Do you know, if you're doing an essay, yes. there's no sense in just going and looking for the research and everything to back up the point you're trying to make. You have to go and look up points that refute everything you're trying to say and then yes. come up with a balanced discussion. And I think that's what we're hugely lacking in the minute. Do you know, people are kind of getting very, um, I suppose, Because because there is a lot of emotion behind certain things at the minute, I think people are getting very kind of caught up in just seeing their side, and I suppose not being able to add a bit of perspective into the scenario and kind of see it from a few different angles in a in in a a practical way, I suppose, in a a critical thinking approach.
0: Yeah, I'm learning so much from you. Thank you. (laughs) You're a wealth of knowledge, Deirdre. You really are. And so, if somebody has mental health issues now or is concerned about their mental well-being, what would be the first thing you'd say to them
1: i'd say to them just don't be don't be judging yourself don't be so hard on yourself so really do check in and see what do you need right now what what could you do to create a little more bit more safety for yourself you know is that going to be going to seek some support telling a family member or friend. you know i'm not feeling great the last while and then the two of mm-hmm. you kind of sitting down discuss what your options are so is that going to be going to your dp is that going to be going to get a therapist that going to be kind of I suppose rearranging your lifestyle a little bit and assessing what causing your most stress what can you what can you get less of what can you get more of and I think for some of us we find that very difficult and that's where therapy comes in and it's fantastic for somebody else to be able to take take the reins a little bit I suppose when we feel things are just a bit too much.
0: Yeah sharing the feelings in a safe environment where you're not going to feel judged and you feel you have somebody there on the sidelines who's encouraging and supporting you.
1: Definitely. Yeah. Yeah. Hugely.
0: Yeah. And what would you say to people that, you know, that therapy is a little bit out of their reach cost wise? Cost wise.
1: I mean, listen, when I first started going therapy, it was definitely out of my range cost wise. What I actually did was I contacted my local family resource centre. And they offer reduced price counselling for anyone who's kind of a student or is kind of on low income. And okay. yeah, so it's fantastic. You can get it at like a half price rate. Um, I think I paid 20 a session at the time. Um, yeah. So, I mean, there there are options like that. The issue is they're not heavily advertised, I suppose, because these these centres don't have the money for advertising and stuff, you know. So it is yes. important for people to know that these services, in not in all communities, I'll give you that, but in a lot of communities, they are available. On top of that, then charities are another it's they're a fantastic resource and to be quite honest, they're probably propping up our public mental health system because, you know, therapy is not widely available on the HSE. So, um, I mean, people can access services within charities to kind of get support unfortunately there are a lot of long waiting lists because they're just inundated and they don't get much funding whatsoever some of them don't get any funding but i used to volunteer in a in a a suicide prevention charity and we did offer um there was you know qualified therapists and counselors in the service they had people in for therapy and then volunteers like myself did things like positive interventions and journaling skills mindfulness stuff like that
0: Fabulous. And when you are in your motivational speaker mode, what do you speak about?
1: What do I speak about? That's a good question. Um, it depends on the group, really. I did a talk there earlier this week and it was for a personal training group. So I did a talk there on kind of creating lasting change and kind of you mm. know, being able to focus on uh, the psychological underpinnings of motivation, of self-discipline and of adding compassion into that. I, I don't think a lot of them realise that kind of you're better off being in a compassionate frame of mind when you're trying to do things like get a bit healthier or kind of focus on your fitness a bit more and I just kind of chatted a bit about um research in the area and stuff and really just tried to drive home the point that you do and all this is value in yourself so you need to really drive home that value and you need to be adding that sense of compassion and it's just going to get there 10 times faster and in much better shape.
0: Compassion is huge isn't it? Huge
1: yeah huge.
0: I wouldn't have even been familiar with the word or the feeling of compassion for so long because I would have, I would have judged myself and I would have kind of pushed myself, you know, to perform or to achieve. And yeah, compassion, there was, it wasn't even, yeah, it wasn't even at the table. And then the first time that I heard about it, you know, having compassion for ourselves, it sounded almost, this probably sounds daft, but it sounded ridiculous. You know, how could I, why would I bother having compassion for myself? You know, I'm just pushing myself. And as soon as I started practicing compassion, it was like all of a sudden, oh, gee, I, I now get it. You know, I could feel my relationship with myself softening and just becoming kinder with myself.
1: Yeah, completely. I think it's just like self-compassion is just nearly like the gatekeeper that kind of protects yourself against those kind of that self-critic yeah. in your head that's kind of telling you you're this, that and the other. And just adding self-compassion into the mix is like, well, listen, I'm not, I'm doing my best here. I am trying. And here's the proof of what I'm doing. I deserve rest. I deserve to be able to, you know, take a step back when I feel things are too much. I'm I'm not a machine, you know. I've got to be able to value myself and value myself enough to offer myself rest and so a break every now and again, you know. Because I think that people kind of push this concept of of self esteem and you know coach people to have kind of have really high self esteem and think brilliantly about themselves through their achievements through their achievements. And it's like we more than achievements, we people.
0: Yeah, I remember hearing that as well. And my, my own kids hadn't yet started sitting exams, you know, state exams. But one of the lecturers had said, you know, you are not a result. Yeah. And it was like a, a bolt out of the blue because I thought, what the hell? I'm <laughs> not a result. But I was so glad I'd heard it before my own kids had started so that I had that little mantra in my own head, you know, that of course you're not a result. Of course you're not. But well, we can get conditioned so easily. We into can, thinking uh, yeah
1: a hundred percent and I think you know what I think it can go one of two ways because I think as humans I think we're terrible at, at having a natural sense of balance or limits I suppose and it's it's very trial and error I think even with things like self-compassion you know I think when I first started kind of using self-compassion and I thought Jesus this is great you know and being real sound to myself and very kind to myself in different ways and then I kind of started to take it a bit too far where I was like confusing self-compassion with I suppose wallowing and I was like oh no I'm not feeling up to which day I'll just leave it like that's not being compassionate to myself you know being compassionate kind of holding yourself to a high standard and saying listen you're better than this get out of that bed like
0: yes for me, I remember if I had made a mistake with something, you know, if I had said something to someone I love, like one of my kids or my husband, or, you know, if I had uh, said something unkind or nasty or smart ass because I was tired or I was feeling stressed or overwhelmed with something that even though I'd have said sorry and my apology would have been accepted like almost immediately, I would have, I realized that I would have been still beating myself up like three days later
1: yeah definitely like that's oh it's i think that's something low the people do myself included. you do you just you really you just feel terrible don't you like because i don't know what that is with us, with us we just we really i suppose feel that we have to kind of keep the peace and stuff and if we don't keep the peace or we don't kind of be perfect in our relationships all the time that we're terrible people and it's not the truth we're just human at the end of the day you know we're going to get it wrong
0: yeah and, when, and when now when I say something like that, I would try not to be still thinking of it three days later. But I always think, OK, there's the r- the flag for me to check in. Oh, I probably haven't been minding myself. Yeah,
1: exactly. It's like, listen, if you said it, forget about it. It's grand. They've forgotten about it. There's no need yes. for us to be still thinking about it. You know, it's done. It's gone.
0: Yeah, yeah. And I think what you said there, Deirdre, is right about perfectionism. I think that's, for me, that would have been a huge thing about being, you know, the perfect mum you know that um oh my god I think that's so complex but it, the you know being the perfect mom that I was able to meet everybody's needs but I wasn't meeting my own needs
1: Well, there you go so it's like it's that whole thing if you can't pour from an empty cup you know and you have to put on your own mask first an oxygen mask on a plane or whatever it's you have to be able to care for yourself first and and I suppose we're, we're just so much able we're so much better able to show up authentically in our, in our relationships and in our, I suppose in our lives when we're kind of caring for ourselves first.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And I love that, that whole, when you're, if you're flying, you know, that you put on your own mask first because sure you can't help someone else with their own mask unless you're first of all, looking after yourself. Yeah. Yeah. And do you, what do you think about self-forgiveness? I think it's similar to the compassion but I know for myself and my own experience, I would have I would have beaten myself up for a long, you know, long after an event or a saying something unkind. And I would have find it, found it harder to forgive myself. Mm, yeah, I think
1: I love the concept of, I suppose, pushing ourselves to forgive ourselves and kind of, you know, thinking that, listen, you can beat yourself up from now until doomsday. It's not going to change the situation. The only thing it's going to do is going to make you have more stress more guilt that's going to spiral into shame and then you're just going to put the kibosh on the whole situation so it's like listen let's just cut yourselves in slack here it's done it's dusted you're sorry you tried to make amends let it go but i think it's when we kind of start thinking that we like i i like the i like the the idea of forgiving ourselves because once we're holding ourselves accountable that's all we can do i don't think we need to necessarily forgive others in certain scenarios i, I think that's kind of you know that's where it's kind of pushed into the territory i'm not really comfortable with if you get me
0: yes and the uh, and you know i'm thinking of forgiveness there, uh, using one of your words dear you know to offer myself forgiveness
1: mm, definitely yeah
0: and then i suppose not when you say they're not forgiving others all of the time what what's behind that when you say that
1: suppose some people kind of have this idea that you know especially in the context of trauma and this is where I just I, I don't really particularly enjoy this narrative I suppose some people think that until you forgive whoever was involved in your trauma un- until you forgive them you're not going to get over it and I just don't agree I'm quite happy with thinking someone's an eternal aegis without me having <laughs> to forgive them Do you know I'm let them forgive themselves that's that's their own business I don't care I, it's yes I I am my own priority I need to look after myself I need to make sure I'm okay if they had any sort of part in causing me harm that's on them I don't have to forgive yeah yeah Do you know
0: yeah Absolutely. I would have found before, if I was in a relationship and there was huge disrespect, what I actually needed was to forgive myself for allowing it to go on.
1: Absolutely. I agree. Yeah. And as soon
0: as I found that and said, oh, yeah, you know, that's I want to forgive myself. I stop, want to stop beating myself up and stop pointing the finger, but actually say, you know what, I, I know now how that felt and I know I'll never allow that again. And that kind of self-forgiveness really has helped me to, yeah, just just to forgive myself and love myself more without needing to get into someone else's space.
1: Completely. I think something I repeat to myself often, especially on the days where I'm really beating myself up, is I just say, listen, you're a flawed, rotten human. You're going to get this wrong in immeasurable ways. Just accept that fact and move on. (laughs) You're a flawed, rotten human. That's it's just, it's my list. To myself just get over it and move on like my mom and dad are very practical people and they're very kind of you know there's no point in sitting around crying about it just get up and get on
0: yes yes and and forgive ourselves and love ourselves for warts and all exactly yeah yeah and I do think like we're, we're doing our best and with the new information I might do better the next day but that was my best at the time
1: Exactly. And I think it's just don't be punishing yourself for kind of reacting and, and doing things before you knew any better. It's like we're going yeah. to keep learning and figuring these things out as we go along. You're not handed a manual the day you're born and taught how to be a human. It's, it's a process, it's a long process.
0: Yeah, yeah, I, I there's a part of that I would so love if all of this was part of the curriculum in schools.
1: Oh, me too. Me too. I think if we could equip kids with, you know, even basic things when they're when they're younger, you know, teaching them things like self-regulation or teaching them, I suppose, how to kind of do emotional check-ins and different things. I I think even simple things like that from, I think, as young as junior infants, it could be done in a very child-friendly way. But I mean, look, whether it is or it isn't, we don't know. What did
0: you say? The self-regulation. And there was another one that you said.
1: Self-regulation and emotional check-ins.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: I think a big thing for people even as adults you know it's like well what's wrong with you I don't know it's like okay so that's obviously what we're going wrong we we struggled to, to identify our emotions and I suppose if we can teach that that skill to people that that level of building self-awareness and emotional awareness I think people would be a lot quicker to recognize okay listen I'm not doing so well here I think it's, it's about time I booked therapy session
0: yes yeah I think that, you know, identifying our emotions is a massive, massive learning curve. It was for me because I think I had definitely, you know, when you say there's no bad feelings, but I definitely believe there were bad feelings and good feelings and some feelings I just did not acknowledge at all. So my vocabulary around my emotions was really minimal. Mm. And I think it, that has been a huge learning for me to just kind of um, untangle or detangle all, you know, whatever I'm feeling and just try to name it rather than just an upset feeling or a good feeling, but to really try to pin it, you know, and, and embrace it and acknowledge it and say, oh yeah, so I'm feeling rage now or I'm feeling jealous, actually, or I'm feeling frustrated, but rather than just saying I'm feeling upset as a general overall blanket that covers all those uncomfortable feelings.
1: Yeah exactly completely and i think it's just about i suppose acknowledging those feelings kind of seeing where that's kind of sitting in your body and then trying to figure out what's underneath that you know, if it is something like rage if it is something like jealousy it's like well what's behind that you know and, and, and i suppose just non-judgmentally kind of hoping to observe that within ourselves and just kind of figure that out
0: yeah yeah and yeah not judging ourselves again for feeding that emotion Totally,
1: yeah, because I mean, again, there's, there's no bad emotions. We're humans and we're entitled to feel whatever we want. And I mean, at the end of the day, yes. facts are not, our feelings are not facts, you know. We can feel things and it, it might not necessarily even warrant kind of going any deeper or further explanation. We're just not in great humour. And we kind of need to accept that as well, I think. that Not everything needs a massive, big exploration. Some feelings just are.
0: Yes, yes, yes. I love that you say there, Deirdre, we're humans at the end of the day. We are,
1: you know, it's you know, we we're, we're we're. I think people kind of give humans far more credit than they're deserving. In some situations, where it's like we should have everything figured out, we should have this, we should have that. It's like, we we don't know our arse our elbows when it comes to kind of understanding ourselves and human emotion. It's we don't have that level of I suppose metacognition to be able to constantly assess thinking, thinking about what we're thinking, you know, we, we just don't have that. And maybe we will in a hundred years, we start of evolve. And I don't know, but sure, who knows? <laughs>
0: <laughs> Do you know, the self observation was one of the practices I was introduced to when I went back to study and that I thought was life changing because I had never really observed myself before
1: yeah yeah I think yeah it's, it's a shocking experience I think for some of us myself m- included it's like jesus
0: <laughs> yes I remember that I still find it shocking at times <laughs> when I'm uh, observing myself I go where the hell did that come from or how am I still thinking about that yeah uh,
1: definitely I think I do try and nearly. I suppose, take the make out of myself sometimes, especially when I'm feeling a bit vulnerable and it's like, right, I need to be approaching myself with a bit of caution here, do you know, we'll say if I'm in particularly sour humour and it's like, listen, what's wrong with you? Like, what, why are you feeling this? What's going on? And I will talk to myself like someone who's, I suppose, a little bit on the edge because unless I'm able to do that and kind of make that really apparent to myself that it is okay to feel this way, I don't think I'm, I'm, I'm feeling like I can talk about it.
0: Yeah, to be our own best friend, isn't it? To totally. Yeah, be compassionate and loving and kind and forgiving. Yeah,
1: definitely. I think, yeah. And like did you find that you'd noticed a big difference in stuff kind of when you started that in comparison to kind of now?
0: I think I had no relationship with myself first. Uh, when I first began I didn't even know what it meant to have a relationship with myself because my focus would have been on my relationship with my kids or my husband or my parents or you know it was always out there and then once I started looking at the relationship with myself it was like it was a it was kind of shocking. I thought what have I never ever even checked in with my relationship with myself because I would have been paying attention to all my other relationships but the one with myself. And then as soon as I started building a more trusting relationship with myself and a more forgiving and more compassionate, there was a ripple effect in every other relationship.
1: Yeah, yeah, I think I, I definitely know it's something similar, you know, just when you do start prioritizing yourself, I think it's, it just becomes your main focus or, or the lens that you view everything through. It's like, listen, they, they, does this person like me or does, am I good at my job? It's like, do I even want to be here? You know, when you really do start assessing, what do I want?
0: Yes, I'd have found as well that because I was very harsh on myself and judging myself, that actually I was very harsh and judgmental of everyone else around me yes
1: yes that was definitely me too yeah
0: on the QT that <laughs> so you know just quietly judging and then as, as soon as I started not being so judgmental with myself I started being the same way with other people
1: yeah I think me too and I think there's a saying that I love um everyone dances to their own boom boom and it's like let's let's just let people do things the way they want to do them. if they're not harming anyone if they're being respectful if they're if they're carrying on and living the way that feels good to them then what's the harm leave them at it yeah
0: i love that deirdre everyone dances to their own boom boom
1: yeah it's, it's just to say and i like I, I seen it years ago i think on a bumper sticker or one of them do you know it's not a very profound one but it's just <laughs>
0: <laughs> but it is kind of yeah let us all dance to our own yeah yeah. Rhythm in our own boom, boom. Beautiful. <laughs> Deirdre, thank you so much. I think I could talk to you all day, actually. <laughs> yeah, I
1: really enjoyed this conversation. It was
0: fun. Yeah, you're, you're a, a font of knowledge and your wisdom and your experience and you're so passionate about it. Oh,
1: I love it. It's, Absolutely love
0: it. Yeah, I can hear that. Thank you so much. And I, I mean, I would say to all listeners to check in with the Good Mind podcast because, Deirdre, your podcast is phenomenally educational and motivational and encouraging and i think it's just beautiful it really speaks from the heart from your heart
1: thank you i really appreciate it
0: and before we wrap up deirdre is there any single say book or podcast as well as your own the good mind podcast is there a book or something that you would have found helpful in your own you know processing what was coming up for you in your own relationship with yourself I think
1: books wise, um, I think definitely Martin Seligman's book, um, Flourishing, uh, is a fantastic book. Um, Daniel Kahneman, Thinking Fast and Slow, it's it's not particularly you know it's not going to go into the, the ins and outs of feelings and it's not very touchy feely, but it talks about critical thinking, and it definitely it, it changed my life. It's, I, I look mm. at everything hoping to find a bit more balance.
0: Okay, and that's Thinking Fast and Slow.
1: Thinking Fast and Slow.
0: Brilliant. Thank you so much, Deirdre. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast. I really appreciate it. Bye,
1: dear. Bye. Bye.